Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachma. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Hello and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Monday, October 16th, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the two words that say start here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again?, And that chapter of the book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for 19 years now to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again, absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness, And if you choose to do that, before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app. That app contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process. And it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. And we hope people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they actively apply these tools in their lives, and secondarily because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, we would appreciate you doing so by giving us a call at 563-999-3581. When you call that number and press 1, it puts a little icon of a hand by your phone number, and... Given that prompt, when time is right, I will turn on the microphone and announce you by your area code. 
You can also send us an email, tjh at mindshifters-academy.org, or you can email genie at j-e-a-n-i-e at yagain.org. And if we get a comment or a question from you, we will address it on the Internet show, and then as time allows, send you a notification about what day and time we were able to do that, and you can listen back to the archive for your feedback. And we appreciate whenever anybody does that because it makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work. When people let us know how what we're already doing is working for them or what they would like to see happen, it makes it far easier for us to be of service, and that's our intention with this work. This is... Monday, we've had a busy weekend. If you've been busy this weekend, if you've been facing challenges, especially if there was something that you decided to use the reality management worksheet process to help you move through, we'd be happy to hear from you and um, offer support in whatever way we can. This is... um, one of those regular Mondays where uh, I like to just start the week by reminding people that we also, uh, on top of having this Internet show that is there to support people one hour a day, two hours a day, five days a week, uh, we have support groups that we run and offer for free on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And all the information you would need to join us for that or forward to somebody else if they have an interest in joining us is available on MindShiftersAcademy.org website. And we would be grateful if you would decide to join us or if you would forward that information to somebody that you think might benefit from joining us. The other major thing we've been doing so far on this show is reading from Diedrich Wolzak's book. His book is titled Choose Again. And when I at the subtitle up here. I'll read that as well. Choose again, six steps to freedom. The summary of chapter eight, which we were finishing on Friday, talks about four key points from that chapter. The first one is that the powerful feeling of the moment can always be traced back to an early formational incident the second point is you are never upset for the reason you think the third point is we become biochemically addicted to repeating powerful feelings and the fourth point is that the more serious our feelings the more likely they are to be denied or diagnosed instead of having us take full responsibility for them and of course the point of this work whether it's 
Dr. Michael Rice's work or Byron Katie's work or Guy Finley's work or Diedrich Wolzak's work is to help people see the benefit, learn the benefits for themselves, the benefit of taking closer and closer to 100% responsibility for whatever emotion, whatever they're experiencing internally. And it's through that recognition that I create what I experience that I'm ushered into a new level of liberty and options. One of the primary things that keeps us from and that we just talked about that in the last point of um, chapter 8 is one of the primary things that keeps us from that is fear and in um, the book Course in Miracles Made Easy with Alan Cohen. He talks about I think it's page 84 in that book on my Kindle. He specifically talks about these the powerful impact of fear. One of the stories he talks about in Lesson Chapter 9 of that book, this is the uh, Course in Miracles Made Easy, he talks about the end of suffering. And um, there was a, a master healer giving a lecture in New York, and she explained that the the idea to personal and planetary healing is to love people and to love people in situations that we once believed were unlovable. And there was a woman in the audience that said, I can't love everyone. I'll never, never, ever love Adolf Hitler. And then the presenter said, well, let's imagine that you had this ability to interact with him when he was a child and you knew that he had abusive parents, etc., and you had an opportunity to embrace that child lovingly and perhaps through your injection of love and compassion in his life change the course of his life. And the, the, later on at the conclusion of the program, um, that woman came up and said, as she stretched out to give this woman a hug, she revealed that she had the tattoos of numbers on her arm that she had been in a concentration camp. And she said to the presenter, every word you said was true. And so if the words can come from a Holocaust survivor that it's true that love is better than hatred, even towards those people that have done such horrible things, then 
it may be possible for you because most of us are not facing having to forgive people for the atrocities of the Holocaust. Most of us are facing learning to forgive people for minor to moderate slights in our life. And the final paragraph on that page is something I've highlighted to share today, which is the way to prevent future Hitlers is to not fall prey to the kind of fear and hatred and mania to which the Germans succumbed. That's why the Course in Miracles assertion is that your primary responsibility as a miracle worker is to allow your own mind to be healed, to be healed of fear. When you refuse to be a pawn of fear, you reduce the ability of insane illusions to run your life and therefore contaminate the lives of others. When you extract Hitler from your own consciousness by overcoming it with love, you subtract a measure of fear from the body of humanity, from the one mind, from the collective consciousness. And that is the best way for any of us to stop suffering. To stop suffering in the world. To stop suffering from its rampage through our consciousness. Michael Rice talks about the benefit of understanding that there are filters in the mind over intention and perception and that with the simple thought or self-command to do so we can reset the filters in our minds to love set them away from fear and set them away from hostility and set them towards love with the simple thought that that's what I'm choosing to do Right now I'm choosing to see only loving things and have only loving intentions towards others and perceive only loving energies from others. And if I'm willing to engage a process like that or the tools of the Reality Management Worksheet or Diedrich's Six-Step Process, I can start to remove from my consciousness everything that's less than that loving energy. And that's the only way that I experience more love in my life. I can't go out and get love from other people. I can't do and say things to create more love. All these great teachings say you're made of this stuff called life, energy of creation, love, whatever you want to call it. And any moment that you're not actively experiencing that, It's a sign for you that you have some false beliefs, some false interpretations of life, some traumatic energies blocking your view of your true nature. So to move forward in the book, choose again, The Six Steps to Freedom by Diedrich Wolzak in Chapter 9. It's titled Step 5 in the six-step process, establish my goal, my judgment of myself. And he quotes 
Wu Xin as saying, beliefs are the unquestioned acceptance of an idea in the absence of verification and reason. Beliefs are the unquestioned acceptance of an idea in the absence of verification and reason. Verification and reason comes from direct observation in the moment. Diedrich writes, We have seen that by tracing our feelings back, we can retrieve memories of a precipitating incident or perhaps a series of incidents in which those feelings first arouse or arose. In this chapter, we will look at how these memories hold the key to understanding how we constructed a particular erroneous belief that is currently running our life. Here's the process so far. Number one, we have acknowledged that we're upset. We're not going to minimize. We're not going to push it away. We're going to turn and face every little upset. Number two, we acknowledge that this is about us. It's not being caused by anyone or anything outside of us. Number three, we're focused on the feeling. Number four, we've remembered the first time we felt that way. So Diedrich writes, now what? As we remember who said or did what, we ask ourselves, well, what did that say about me? What was my interpretation of myself at that moment? Whatever that interpretation was, it was wrong. This is the time when every ego quickly wants to forget about step two, that it's about me, and shift back into blame or rationalization of the feelings. At this point, I often hear things like, quote, well, I felt that way because what mom said really hurt, close quotes. In other words, the ego has commandeered the process and has moved back into the familiar territory of explaining, blaming, and defending. Whenever you hear yourself say, I felt this way because, dot, 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 that moment, what that means is that you will not experience the transformation of core beliefs that we're after. So, Diedrich suggests... Go into the memory and access what judgments you had about yourself at that time. Here are some of my own judgments. I'm not important. I'm not lovable. I'm not supported. I don't matter. There's something wrong with me. I don't belong. People can't be trusted. I should not have been born. And the ubiquitous one, I am unworthy. Diedrich writes, because these beliefs were created in my formative years, they stuck. They formed the lens through which I viewed my entire world. And they could still run my life to this day if I let them. For example, I may notice that I get nervous when someone is angry. And yet, I surround myself with angry people. I notice that I hate conflict and yet there is conflict all around me. I notice that I have trouble trusting people, and yet I attract people who cannot be trusted. 
I get anxious when things are not going according to schedule. And yet, I will sabotage any schedule I create. I'm hurt when someone is late for an appointment with me. And yet, I myself am rarely on time. I'm afraid of walking into a room full of people. And yet, I'm petrified of people's opinions of me. I need to know the schedule, and yet I almost completely ignore schedules. Diedrich writes that all such tendencies are triggered by ancient memories kept in place by my beliefs. It is as if what happened 70 years ago, in my case, is happening right now. There are so many little or seemingly insignificant incidents which can provide the genesis of a limiting, erroneous belief. As we've discussed, these beliefs then run the test. They run the rest of your life like a default program. The Course in Miracles is quoted here as saying, each day and every minute in each day and every instant in the each minute holds. You but relive the single instant when the time of terror took the place of love. Every day, every minute in each day, and every instant that each minute holds, but you relive the single instant when the time of terror took the place of love. Quoted from A Course in Miracles. Dieter writes, It's very important to remember that the traumatic events that create beliefs are not necessarily traumatic at all. They are made traumatic by the ego's interpretation. And these events don't have to be anything seemingly dramatic. They don't have to be things like incest or concentration camp imprisonment or murder. Any event that causes our child self to create a debilitating belief or a set of beliefs is a force to be reckoned with. Any event is a force to be reckoned with if as a result of it, our childlike self created a debilitating belief or a set of beliefs. He writes, we have found over the years that the number one most common cause for negative or limiting core beliefs is a seemingly innocuous event. Quote, my father was five minutes late picking me up from kindergarten, close quotes. It is shocking, perhaps, to suddenly come face-to-face with the awareness that the cause for my crippling lifelong beliefs was something as meaningless as this. The next section is titled, Processing Upsets. Diedrich writes, Recently, at El Chilo, there were two seemingly very different people in the healing circle. One was Carol, a 19-year-old from a middle-class family, with legal and illegal substance abuse issues. The other, David, was a highly successful accountant in his late 40s who had risen to a global leadership position in a multinational firm of accountants. Both these people came to the circle visibly upset, and they each engaged in the six-step process to uncover their hidden beliefs. Carol's feeling of being victimized 
triggered by a trivial comment that someone made at breakfast, led her back to the memory of her brother's friend exploring her body when she was five years old. Later, he sexually abused her for years. From that memory, she made up the belief that she was weak and powerless, and she frequently found herself seeking evidence for that belief by choosing relationships in which she would be victimized. Her belief also led her to be powerless over substances. David, triggered by being let go from the job that he loved due to circumstances beyond his control, followed his feelings to a memory of his days at a boarding school in England. He had absolutely no control over his fate there and felt completely powerless and fearful of punishment. The only way to stay safe in that situation, he felt, was to excel academically and to take as much control as possible so that others could not get him into trouble, the consequences of which were invariably extremely painful. Corporal punishment in the form of caning is still used liberally at that school. His belief that he was weak and powerless led to a life constantly driven by a need to be in control. He used this to propel himself up the corporate ladder. While David's expression of his belief as weak and powerless may look more sensible than Carol's, neither one of them was happy. Both would be intensely triggered or upset by any event that reproduced feelings of weakness in them. Watching them process their beliefs together, which at times can be done in pairs, was a sweet and poignant moment. David's upset around his job loss dissolved, and he was able to see it as a neutral fact that said absolutely nothing about him. Carol returned home and put an end to a relationship that had not served her well. Her boyfriend had also been her dealer. One of my clients, Pamela, came to see me one day, upset that she'd been yelling at her kids. She wanted to stop, but felt so frustrated whenever they ignored her or refused to pay attention to her, so she always ended up raising her voice. I asked if there had been someone who did not listen to her when she was young. It turned out that her mother, who was deaf, could not hear her when she was just beginning to talk as an infant. This led to immense frustration for her as a toddler, so she made up the belief that she was not important, or else her mother would have understood her. The belief triggered an angry response from Pamela whenever she perceived that someone was not paying attention. So she behaved in a way that vindicated her belief, constantly putting herself down or putting others ahead of herself. After processing that belief and recognizing that she had always had an intrinsic worth, she reported back months later that she would not yelled at her kids in quite some time. She was not even tempted to yell anymore. That's how it works. When the belief is corrected, it no longer induces the behavior that will validate it. One of the Choose Again counselors shares the following story of how she developed beliefs that subsequently ran her life. She reports, quote, Once when I was about three or four, I was dressed 
in a frilly little summer dress and and put on top of the wood pile at our cottage at the lake. My father wanted to take a picture of me with his new movie camera. For some reason, I decided that I didn't want my picture taken, and I said so. He ignored my request and took the picture. I started to cry, and the other people watching started to laugh. In this critical moment, probably meaningless to my parents and siblings, I decided that I was weak and powerless and that people laugh at you if you are weak and powerless. I made up those beliefs and have been gathering evidence to prove that they were true for most of my life. I built an entire personality around these beliefs and I never once stopped to question their validity. So many times my friends and family were actually laughing with me but I couldn't see beyond my built-in perception that I was weak and powerless, and therefore I was a lacking, laughing stock to be ridiculed. Many years later, I was invited to question these two beliefs. When I did a reenactment of the story, the adult me saw clearly that I was neither weak nor powerless, but simply a little girl making an interpretation based on very little knowledge of herself or her situation, close quotes. The next section is titled, From Events to Beliefs to Behaviors. One, quiet, one client at El Chilio, Judy, a young woman of 18, not only ate a vegan diet, but could hardly stand to have her food cooked in the same kitchen or eat with non-vegans. The subject of her dietary extremism came up in one circle one morning. And through the six-step process, she revealed a memory from when she was very young, around two years old. She and her sister were playing with a delicate bird's egg. The sister had found the egg in a nest, and it was very special to her. Judy was allowed to hold the egg and accidentally broke it. At that moment, she felt as if she had not only broken her sister's heart, but also murdered the bird that would have hatched. Her response was to make everything better by taking care never to harm another living thing. And so she became vegan. That incident had given rise to beliefs that Judy had destroyed love could never be punished enough, and that she was monstrous. These beliefs had played out in a variety of ways, one of which was substance abuse. That is how she punished herself. This example shows a very clear link between the precipitating event, the beliefs that formed, and a person's subsequent behavior. Other examples may be less obvious. Beatrice came to me admitting she often felt acute embarrassment in social settings. By focusing on that dreadful feeling for a few seconds, she retrieved a memory from a family holiday when she was about four. She reports, we had taken a trip on the Hispan Hispaniola to Treasure Island 
and my brother and I were digging in the sand looking for coins we'd been told were buried there. Suddenly, out of the bushes came a gang of three pirates pointing their guns at us and demanding that we put up our hands. I was terrified. I put my hands up as quickly as I could, and everyone started laughing. I was so embarrassed that I hid my face in my mother's skirt when I realized that the pirates were not real and that everyone was laughing at me. Beatrice felt stupid and very embarrassed. Feelings that solidified into beliefs that were still playing out in her life some 40 years later. The belief that she was stupid drove her to prove herself by jumping through higher and higher hoops, getting one professional qualification after another, but never feeling any satisfaction from having done so. Nothing she did to improve herself was ever good enough. The benefit of looking back at childhood memories as an adult is that it is so much easier to see how ridiculous the resultant beliefs are. Beatrice was able to laugh at the memory, realizing that the other people on that beach were laughing because of how cute she looked with her hands up and a shocked, frightened expression on her face. She could easily see that she had not been stupid, just delightfully childish at that moment. And innocent. There was no cause for embarrassment. She was only four years old. Still, our ego minds make up ideas that drive our behaviors and feelings until we recognize the patterns and we set about undoing them. This example also shows that our beliefs arise from all kinds of situations. They can be funny and seemingly trivial, as is this one, or traumatic and as traumatic as a physical or emotional or sexual abuse. The results can be devastating regardless of the perceived magnitude of the actual precipitating events. The memory that Peter accessed following his feelings of anger seems quite insignificant. Yet, it led to a belief that got stronger and stronger as it gathered more and more evidence until Peter believed himself to be the epitome of evil. Peter writes, quote, When I was about four years old, my family went to Hawaii on holiday, leaving me behind with my grandparents. Later I saw the photos, and they obviously had such a great time without me. Why didn't they include me? Surely they would have if they had loved me, and if I wasn't, quote, trouble, close quote. So I made up the story that I was trouble, that I was unlovable, and that I was bad. Throughout my life, even when faced with evidence to the contrary, such as doing well in school, I would sabotage the positive and turn it around. At school, I wouldn't do my homework, and then I would fail and be in trouble with my teachers. I spent a lot of time in the principal's office, and with each occasion, I was cementing my belief about how bad I was and how deserving of punishment I was. Eventually, I got to the point in life where no amount of punishment or suffering was enough to assuage my guilt. The evil that I thought I was demanded more and more evidence until I lost any idea of ever having a happy life. 
My suffering got deeper and deeper until one day I discovered my girlfriend had hung herself in our apartment. I believed I was responsible and that I had actively killed someone. My self-hatred was so intense. That was the point at which I found the choose again process. When I came to Costa Rica, it took me about two weeks to even begin to, quote, settle in, close quotes. And then one day, I felt an unfamiliar feeling, that of looking forward to something, the weekly soccer game. From that point on, with the help of holotropic breathing and processing, I began to feel happiness that I hadn't experienced before. Because this initial tentative level of happiness was so much better than the place I used to be in, I accepted it as good enough, and I didn't allow myself to go any deeper into my healing. I returned to my hometown and soon discovered that I'd only scraped the surface. There was much, much, much more work to be done. So I applied to return to the center in Costa Rica as a volunteer. I was accepted, and after a long, profoundly impactful training, I was invited to become a full-time staff member. Now that I'm back as a counselor, I recognize the importance of vigilance in catching any thought that is not a loving one. And this is important in order to maintain my commitment to absolute peace. Now I find the most important idea is to recognize that there is never a reason to be upset. Recently, I was doing the accounting and had just finished balancing the books when someone came in with $2,000 worth of receipts. This person knew that I'd been working on the accounts, so I felt justifiably angry. Because of my vigilance, I was able to take a few minutes to remind myself that no one can take away my peace. This is a choice that only I can make. It didn't take long for my peace to be restored. Diedrich writes, As Peter's story reveals, our core beliefs are extremely powerful, regardless of how they began. So, what's the way out? Well, we must retrain our mind and retrain it vigorously. An untrained mind can accomplish nothing. You made up your beliefs and you are the only one who can undo them. It truly is just that simple. We have to become extraordinarily disciplined with our thoughts. We have to learn to mediate and to watch our thoughts at all times. Here he quotes David R. Hawkins as saying, The well-disciplined mind should only speak when requested to perform a task. Untrained, the mind becomes an unruly on-stage performer and a nuisance. The self needs to learn respect for the higher self and the silence of the presence. With a capital P, the presence. By observing the mind, it becomes apparent that the lower, the lowercase s self represents the disruptive, unruly child who constantly seeks attention. Diedrich writes, 
Mind training helps us recognize and interpret thoughts that would lead to unhappy results. If we don't do that, the ego, which is a false idea of ourselves, the ego will continue to run the show in our mind the way it has for years. It won't change because it's doing exactly what it wants to do. We, from that higher self position, have to interpret and rather intercept the ego and say, aha, there's a thought of scarcity. There's a thought of not enough love. There's a thought that I'm not supported or that there's a thought that I don't belong. And if you are vigilant about watching your thoughts, you can catch the erroneous ones before they can do any more damage. And then we must correct them. We can use the technique provided in the previous chapter. Chapters. So here's a summary of that lesson, lesson nine. Again, four points. Point number one. Any upset at an early age can become the seed for a core negative belief. Point number two, the judgments we have about ourselves at a young age become our controlling beliefs. Point number three, our beliefs can be discovered in early memories. Point number four, discipline is essential. The invitation is to be vigilant with your thoughts. So that is Chapter 9. And we have time for comments and questions. Maybe maybe as much as 17 or 18 minutes. 563-999-3581. If you call that number and press 1, you can weigh in on how this is landing for you how is the comparison for you between the reality management worksheet and the Diedrich Wolzak six-step process area code 610 hi dr. Tim boy is that a great reading hi I have had the question in my mind, uh, what happens if you find out what you've been doing, you find out the trauma or traumas, and maybe not all of them, what if you find all the reasons why you're doing what you're doing, but somehow you're still doing what you're doing? (laughs) And you just answered it. Or you read the answer when it talks about discipline, vigilance, and that wonderful part about don't listen to your mind at all unless you need it for a certain particular task. And then come back to the presence. To me, that's the only answer out of this, uh, out of what I keep doing. (laughs) And so I just wanted to say this is, perfect but i need a heck of a lot of practice well you might remember that at an earlier um point in this work he talked about the idea of 
the rainforest and hacking yeah. a path through the rainforest. Right. Mm-hmm. And if you do that and you spend the time and the energy to do that, you can eventually get a path. But if you yeah. leave it for a week, you come back and there won't be a path. Yeah. And he right. says that's, that's totally essentially right. what happens with our mind, with our ego, with our thoughts. And unless we are willing to be that vigilant, continually work on that, catching the negative thoughts or the negative emotions, tracing them back to their earliest origins, and then uncovering and seeing through the negative beliefs that we downloaded about ourselves. Unless we're willing to do that on a continual basis, we'll slip right back in. The the rainforest will grow over. The ego will kick back in. Mm Mm-hmm. And, well, and, and one of the I, things it, that if Diedrich were here, he would say, you know what, if you think you've gotten all of the beliefs, the negative beliefs that are driving a behavior that's unproductive in your life, but the behavior continues, you haven't found all the beliefs yet. Okay. Well, if if the belief turns out to be a sort of global belief of, a conglomeration of many of the things you mentioned that people felt. I'm unworthy, I shouldn't have been born, um, whatever they are. If I wonder if it's necessary. I feel as if in my life I basically know where those things came from. And when an erroneous feeling, uh, thought comes up or judgment, I, I often think, well, I know where that came from. I'm just watching the thoughts. I don't, maybe it is necessary to go back and feel them, go through them, find more. But I'm wondering if it's sufficient just to be vigilant and say, oh, I know where I'm doing it again. This is where that thought well, came from. And <laughs> well, well, think about it. Think about it this way. Michael Rice talks about this, uh, the number one, pseudo-solution of what he calls the non-being mind. And that is, I'm going to figure it out. And when you have a thought about something and you say, oh, I know what this is, but nothing shifts, be assured, several different teachings say the same thing. When that happens, be assured, you do not know. Okay. And, And there it is. Michael Rice would say, he'd start singing the song, Slip Sliding Away. He talks about that most often when he says, here are people who talk to Michael about, they do their worksheets mentally. They don't write anything down. And that's when Mm -hmm. Michael says, you know, let me burst into song and sing to you, Slip Sliding Away. Well, that's what's going to be happening to all of us if we just say, oh, I will just think about this. Oh, I know what that is. Now, if you get, I know what that is, and it comes with a deep, felt, emotional shift, and then you see a change in your behavior patterns, you're probably on to something. Mm-hmm. But if you say, oh, I know what that is. Oh, I can see what that is, and I've traced it back to this or that, and it keeps happening, 
and or you haven't had that deep emotional shift, you didn't see anything worth your time. I get it. Well, then something's misleading about some of the examples you gave. I mean, you had this young man who kept dating women who didn't have time for him. And after he discovered the origin of that, suddenly he was dating women who did have time for him. In other words, there was a cure right there. Well, but, but, but think about it this way. We are reading these stories in this book, right? Yeah. But do you remember when you went to Heartland? Yeah. What was that experience like? Was that like just reading a chapter in a book? No, that was a big mixed bag. That was a huge, big mixed bag because you made the time and you traveled to a place you'd never been before and you sat around with some people you'd never been around before and you were there as they were doing their emotional processing and you were there as you were doing yours to whatever degree you were willing. Mm -hmm. Keep in mind that each and every one of these things that he's putting in this book are people having deep emotional connections and shifts. And his writing style makes it seem like it's just a toss-off, a, one, a one-shot deal. Mm-hmm. But, but if they traveled from British Columbia to Costa Rica to be mm-hmm. in this healing center, and they're sitting around multiple times a day in these healing circles with other people bearing their souls and crying and going through their trauma memories and it's opening them up in a way it's soft tilling the soil right softening the soil so they have whatever shift they need to be able to face their own fears he's he's not that skilled a writer he's not conveying that in this book but please don't be mm. misleaded to think that yeah they just have this one little insight and then everything's better okay all right I hear you he is <laughs> saying there is this process mm. just like Michael Rice would say Michael Rice wouldn't tell you hey you know what do one one good worksheet on this and you'll be done with this issue mm-hmm. right My, Michael Rice has the same kind of thing that's kind of hidden in this reading from Diedrich Wolzak, where he talks about the rainforest and the need to be vigilant, etc. Michael Rice talks about it as Yeshua said when they asked Jesus, how many times do we have to do this forgiveness process? <laughs> 77 times 70 times. And Michael said, that's mm-hmm. not a number. That's a symbol because zero is... Um, seven is the number of completion, and when you add zero to a number, it means infinity. So you have to do this an infinite number of times until it's complete. Mm-hmm. Well, it's the same kind of thing that Diedrich Wolzak has when he talks about the rainforest, or he talks here at the end of this chapter about being vigilant. Yeah. Okay. Disciplined and vigilant. And earlier on in that chapter, they talked about every negative thought. 
right? There is no such thing as a little upset. The slightest irritation is connected to the deepest rage. Right. So, you know, some of those things might slip away when you hear me reading this and then I go on to a story, but it's really in there. Every negative thought is needed to be erased. Okay, so you got it, it. It isn't. It isn't one quick fix. It isn't this. And and you know, I mean, I don't know what you saw and experienced when you were at Heartland, but many times when people go to Heartland, even if they don't have them themselves, they witness somebody else going through a transformation. Mm-hmm. And and sometimes the transformation is something that affects a particular part of their life from that point forward. But that doesn't mean now this person is a deity that you can worship because we're all still just here. We're we're people. We've all got issues. And the Mm -hmm. issues come and go moment to moment, day to day. And what all of these good deep spiritual teachings are calling us to is to be willing to stay present in the moment and to choose for love over fear each new present moment. So we talked about this before once once a number of years ago, you and I on this Internet show. Something about your presentation indicates that you either think you should be or you want to be done with an issue. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's true. And and that's just not the way it works for most of us. Mm -hmm. And so being willing to accept what is is a critically important first step in being able to work with it, no matter what it is. And if I'm in this flow of life, as the way of mastery says, how could you ever expect to be done learning about yourself if you are part of the one infinite mind that's always expanding and growing. So there's a silliness in the idea that I'm going to be done. I'm going to be done with an issue, or I'm going to be done with my anger, or I'm going to be done with my lust, or my greed, or my insecurities, or my low self-confidence. It's it's a complete misdirection. It's It's a move of the ego to make me think I'm going to be done with that. And yet, at the same time, the ego says, well, then why would I ever do this? Well, because I can make tremendous progress with every single worksheet. I can see benefits day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month, year-to-year, decade-to-decade that make my life highly preferable for, for my experience prior to what it was before I decided to do the work. Mm. That's true, yeah. <clears throat> Guy Finley has a line in one of his talks where he says, most of your psychological pain, emotional and psychological pain and suffering, is the bitter fruit of a comparative life. Right. Now, 
some people hear that and they think, oh, I don't compare myself to others. But then they miss the fact that they're comparing themselves to some kind of an ideal they have of how they should be. Right. And it's the same thing. Oh, this divorce that I've worked on for five years that I've, you know, desperately wanted to be, you know, out of this marriage and out from under the control of this horrific person. And then when the divorce happens, the person says, what is wrong with me? I thought I would be happy. I thought I'd go home and celebrate with champagne, but I feel my body's a wreck and I'm, I'm, I have low energy and I'm depressed. And Well, what's happening there? Where did they get the idea that they'd be celebrating with champagne minutes after the divorce was final? Where's, where's the idea of living your life in direct observation and being willing to face whatever is up for you in the moment and take responsibility for it and breathe through it and use tools. Well, that kind of idea goes out the window as soon as I think I should this or that. Mm. I should be feeling this way. I shouldn't be, you know, still thinking about this person. It's been, you know, 17 hours since the divorce was final. Why am I still thinking about this person that I was married to for 15 years or whatever, right? Mm. And so the comparative Mm. life that Guy Finley is talking about there is not just me comparing myself to others that causes my suffering. It's me comparing myself or anything I'm experiencing to some set of shoulds or ideals. So two critical points there. One is it's a mistake to think I'll be done with this. It's just a trap. It's, a, it's, it's one of the basic trap mechanisms of the ego. I should be done with this. I will be done with this soon or one day, etc. That's a trap. The other one is comparing myself to anybody else or even to any ideal I have is the root of most of my psychological pain and suffering. So our invitation is don't accept those. Don't accept those traps. Don't walk into them. Don't fight for them. Don't argue for them. Don't argue that you ought to be able to be done with this because after all you've done 37 worksheets or whatever. (laughs) You've done the Diedrich Wolzak process 12 times and you still haven't gotten rid of some of those behaviors that you don't like. So that's the invitation. And each of us can do with that as we please. Mm -hmm. But for now, I thank you for your comments here near the end of the hour. It's uh, always delightful to hear from you. I hope these uh, comments were in response were of some value. And I will mute you with blessings so that you can listen to the second hour if you so choose. I will remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. And I'll turn on the microphone for and welcome Jeannie Rice. Thank you, Dr. Kim. You're very welcome and deserving. Have a wonderful show. Thanks. So welcome, everybody, to a new week. Today is Monday, October the 16th, 2023. 
And our call-in number is 563-999-3581. And press 1. And that puts you in queue to talk to us. We'd love to hear your comments and questions because that makes this your show. We'll give Michael a moment to dial in. We actually have a question that came in by email, and shall I wait until he gets on so he can address it? Uh, in the meantime, uh, you know, go to the website. We've added now the on our YouTube channel, and uh, the link is also under on our website under the Global Book Club. The meeting that they had on Thursday of last week, the 12th. They will not be having one on the 26th. The kids are out of school or something, and so she's got other things going on and will not be doing the club on that day. And so one of the things that, you know, I've been, we haven't had Aria for a few days, so I've been writing on my book again. And one of the things that I've included in my book um, is a part of a chapter out of A Course in Miracles. And it's chapter, it's lesson 153 in my defenselessness, my safety lies. And I'm just going to read part of this. You who feel threatened by this changing world, its twists of fortune and its bitter jest, its brief relationships and all the gifts, quote unquote, it merely lends to take away again. Attend this lesson well. The world provides no safety. It is rooted in attack, and all its gifts, seemingly safety, are illusionary deceptions. It attacks and then attacks again. No peace of mind is possible where danger threatens thus. Oh, Susan says there's a lot of static on the show. All right, let me see if this is any better. I'll hold the microphone up a little closer to my mouth. The world gives rise but to defense, defensiveness. For threat brings anger. Anger makes attacks seem reasonable. Well, she says it's still bad. So, Michael, if you'll call in, I'll hang up and dial back in. She says there's a lot of static on my end. And I'll try to call back in and see if it's clearer. So we'll give him just a moment to dial in there. And thank you for letting me know. So as soon as he calls in, then I'll hang up and dial back in, and then maybe it'll have a better connection. In a minute. Hope everybody is doing well. Cooler here today. It's only 47 degrees. And raining. Well, he's not in yet. This is having difficulties. Apologies. Hopefully it's not blog talk issues or something. Michael's having challenges getting in. As soon as he does get dialed in, then I'm going to hang up and, and uh, 
try again. That's weird. She says, when I speak, they're static, and when I'm silent, it's not. So <laughs> it must be something in my microphone, but I will hang up and try again. There you go, Michael. All right, young lady, let's see. Am I sounding loud and clear? I could hear some yes. static with Jeannie that is gone now. So who are we speaking with? Hi, hi it's Sue, Susan. Uh, oh, hey, young lady. Welcome. Hi. Yeah, um, there was no problem on Dr. Tim's show, but when Jeannie speaks, it's staticky. But now you're speaking and it's clear, so it might be just something Good. in her. Probably her system. connection. Okay. Yeah, probably her connection. That'll she'll get back in and and be loud and clear. So how do you be? What's happening in your world? Let's see if it's any better. You're oh, it's better. better. Yeah, loud and clear. Good. Good. Just a connection. Yeah. Technology. So what fun reading. it is. Yeah, Jeannie, start again okay. if you don't mind. Oh, good. I sure I, will. We had to work. Okay. <laughs> I uh, had started writing in my book in the last few days since we haven't had Aria, and. Um, one of the pieces that I included in this last chapter is out of the Course of Miracles, and it's Lesson 153, In My Defenselessness, My Safety Lies. And so I'm going to read a couple of the paragraphs that I included in my book. And it's in the part where, you know, I was talking about uh, the power person and that one of the things that happened for me is, I was always so fearful, and fear is still probably one of my number one. But after the first abusive marriage that I had, then I learned he became my power person, I suppose, and I learned that to survive, because nobody else was going to take care of me, that I had to flip into anger and I had to fight back. And so then I brought this lesson in, and it's in my defenselessness, my safety lies. You who feel threatened by this changing world, its twists of fortune and its bitter jests, its brief relationships and all the quote-unquote gifts it merely lends to take away again, attend this lesson well. The world provides no safety. It is rooted in attack. And all its gifts, quote-unquote, of seeming safety are illusionary deceptions. It attacks and then attacks again. No peace of mind is possible where danger threatens thus. The world gives rise but to defensiveness. For threat brings anger. Anger makes attack seem reasonable. Honestly provoked and righteous in the name of self-defense. Is that not just what I said? Yet is defensiveness a double threat? For it attests to weakness and it sets up a system of defense that cannot work. Now are the weak still further undermined, for there is treachery without and still a greater treachery within. The mind is now confused and knows not where to turn to find escape from its imaginings. It is as if a circle held it fast, wherein another circle bound it and another one in that until escape no longer can be hoped for nor obtained. Attack, defense. Defense, attack. Becomes the circles of the hours and the days that bind the mind in heavy bands of steel with iron overlaid, returning but to start again. 
There seems to be no break nor ending in the ever-tightening grip of the imprisonment upon the mind. Then I'm going to roll all the way down to the end of it where we are told what the solution is. In time with practice, you will never cease to think of him, speaking of God or Christ, and hearing his loving voice guiding your footsteps into quiet ways where you will walk in true defenselessness, for you will know that heaven goes with you. Nor would you keep your mind away from him a moment, even though your time is spent in offering salvation to the world. Think you that he will not make this possible for you who choose to carry out his plan for the salvation of the world and yours? Today our theme is our defenselessness. We clothe ourselves in it as we prepare to meet the day. We rise up strong in Christ and let our weakness disappear as we remember that his strength abides in us. We will remind ourselves that he remains beside us through the day and never leaves our weakness unsupported by his strength. We call upon his strength each time we feel the threat of our defenses undermine our certainty of purpose. We pause a moment. He tells us, I am here. Your practicing will now begin to take the earnestness of love to help you keep your mind from wandering from its intent. Be not afraid nor timid. There can be no doubt that you will reach your final goal. The ministers of God can never fail because the love and strength and peace that shine from them to all their brothers come from him. These are his gifts to you. Defenselessness is all you need to give him in return. You lay aside but what was never real to look on Christ and see his sinlessness. Breathing with you on that one, sweetie. Yeah, so, you know, letting go of our need to defend and to fight and distrust. And I think that's a big one for a lot of people is trusting the creator and trusting source, trusting Rukka. Is that a passage you just wrote, put in your book this morning, sweetie? No, it was yesterday. And it's actually uh, out of Lesson 153 in The Course in Miracles. But I added it to a chapter yesterday that I was writing about um, power person dynamic of uh, going from fear to anger and back and forth. And and then that just came to me. So I added it. So there's been a shift. Yeah, there's been a shift in your energy uh, today that I noticed when we were sitting downstairs this morning having breakfast. So it's clearly opened something big up for you. That's awesome. Joining you in it. And we did have a question from an email. Before we do the question, this this actually, you just opened the space to lead right into the question. You shared it with me earlier, but before we read it, uh, I want to throw some thoughts out on this as a prelude to the question that you've got to ask from somebody who wrote in. One thing is that whenever I do that lesson, I always add the word power. In my defenselessness, my power and safety lie. And if I give my power over to defensiveness, self-protection, then I literally just empowered or set up a field that's going to draw the very attack that I'm fighting against. You know, Job gave us a lesson 
if you read the book of Job, you read the story of a major mega healing crisis. And one of the things that Job comes to as a conclusion through his healing crisis is, ah, that which I feared most has come upon me. Fear, defensiveness, is an amplifier for energy. We are creators. As creators, whatever we hold, we empower. We can empower it by holding it in the active presence of love, or we can empower it by holding it in the active presence of fear. And if we do, then we intensify that energy with fear, and whatever it is that I'm defending against, whatever it is that I fear, I'm going to draw into my life. Now, it's, one has to be careful when getting to the refinement of this lesson because that can, be, can sound like blaming the victim. Oh, you're just saying it's my fault this happened to me. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is it's a participatory world. And nothing comes to you, one of the things the Course says, nothing comes to you without your consent. If the consent is usually unconscious, you know, whatever the form of attack might be, somebody says, well, you know, I've never thought of that. that I, I, no, not me. No. Well, it might be an, uh, literally, literally an energetic pattern from 10 generations ago when that event happened. You know, I'm afraid that somebody's going to come up and just punch me out. Well, there may be an unresolved generational pattern of being punched out. And if something triggers that into activity and I go into fear about it instead of forgive it, then I just, and I'm talking on a literal physics level, on a quantum wave level, I just send out a quantum wave, literally a measurable energy wave, that says, hey, is there anybody in town that wants to or knows how to punch me out? And if there's anybody in the arena, guess who's coming to visit? It's going to be that person who's in resonance with that because we live in a resonance world. So as opposed to reinforcing fear, if I recognize I have fear, then I look at the goal that I hold. Well, I just want to be safe. Oh, so in my file on being safe, I have a fear of being punched out. So if I play the affirmation game, I'm always safe, I'm always safe, I'm always safe, Every time I think the thought I'm always safe because of resonance, I resonate being punched out, cancel the thought. And when that energy field becomes strong enough, then somebody's going to show up to fulfill it for me. In the instant they show up, they, they may actually, you know, think about times when we've walked into somebody's space, totally committed to being loving, nurturing, and caring, and all of a sudden, we go into our mad banshee and attack. I, I was committed to being loving there. What happened? Well, that person's high energy wave triggered your mad banshee, and bang, it comes into awareness. If you're not really conscious, then it tends to come up and take over when it's resonated into activity. You know, that's how where people say, you know, words set in anger. Why? Because anger tends to just lubricate the hostility and fear-based mind and words based in it tend to express and energetic patterns based in that anger tend to draw to us experiences. So that's a, an awesome lesson to soften into and recognize that I can let every cell in my body soften and trust that I'm safe and I need no defenses at all.
that in God's universe, in the universe where love is the governing energy, and the only way I get to be part of that universe is when I choose to participate in my human life as love, then I'm safe, I trust, rather than trusting in the generational patterns of the past that do come up that need forgiveness. And if they don't forget, or if they're not forgiven, then sooner or later they lead to an experience in the world. You know, whenever we hear the Greeks saying, Yeshua says, forgive your brother, he never says that. He says, forgive as to your brother. And so if the person is coming, cancel the thought with a fist to punch me in the face, shows up and their fist is up, and I go into my terror, I just reinforce that that fist is coming at me. If I take a breath, stop, and I cancel my need to be safe, then rather than pushing that invitation to punch me in the face, again, cancel the thought, rather than pushing that energy out into the world, I now can bring that energy back inside of me. I bring it forward in the presence of love, and it dissolves. And all of a sudden, this person whose fist is poised goes, what the heck am I doing? Because there's no energy to, to drive that behavior in them. It's a participatory world. Nothing comes to us. You know, there's that section in the course on responsibility for sight. I am responsible for the things that happen to me. And everything that happens to me, I ask for and receive as I have asked. It goes on in that passage to say, deceive yourself no longer that you are helpless in the face of what is done to you. Acknowledge but that you have been mistaken. And all effects of your mistakes will disappear. But you've got to breathe, soften everything so that there's nothing locked down. And as your physiology softens and opens, you get to access that old energy in the file on being safe that goes back maybe 10 generations where somebody was punched out and it was never resolved. I get to soften. I get to bring that energetic pattern forward. I get to breathe through it, and it no longer pushes the people, the buttons in the people around me who have the capacity to do that. So it's a powerful core lesson in the course. So I'm breathing and softening with you, sweetheart, and with everybody who's listening. When we look at some of the patterns that need to be worked with and worked through, I uh, I just had a conversation before the radio show today with a young man that I was reintroduced to that I only knew when he was in utero 54 years ago. It was my cousin's son cousin who was considered to be the black sheep of the family, but I always kept a connection with him. He passed away back in June, which I just found out today. And in trying to reach out to him, I end up getting the phone number of his son, who he had disowned about five years ago. A son that, because my cousin respected me, he named after me, and mm. this young man just shared with me how 
he was just so happy and delighted to meet the person that he was supposed to be like because his dad used to compare him to me and that was who he was supposed to be. One of the phrases he repeated was, it's so nice to meet who I'm supposed to be. And then we went in with his father being the black sheep of the family. We went into, he was still in utero the last time I saw his mother. We went into the story of how my my cousin really inherited the uh, the title of the black sheep of the camp family. And it was a whole lot blacker than I had ever realized as he shared with me some of the things he went through as a, as a kid. And so as I'm speaking these, this, this lesson, it's so perfect to hear that, Jeannie. As, you, as I said to Jeannie when I went down for, for breakfast, that as I got off the phone with him, I felt like I'd been hit up the side of the head with a two-by-four listening to what this kid, I mean, just horror stories beyond. I mean, at three, watching a friend of his father's get stabbed to death in front of him, you know, I mean, just, and his father being stabbed, the black sheep, my cousin, I was not privy to any of that having happened. So it's it's sweet that you started the uh, the show off, Jeannie, with that lesson as a reminder, and I'm offering the take a breath and soften everything because I need it. And I'm just softening and breathing with that. So thanks for introducing that lesson. It's just so right on target for me right now. Definitely have some grief and uh, tears that want to come up over thinking about what my cousin, who I dearly cherished and was connected to, although, again, he was always the black sheep. Oh, you stay away from him. And I always kept a connection with him, but did not know how deep into the darkness he had gone. Found some of that out this morning with his son, who started his healing journey several years ago. And uh, a cousin who his... cousin's father's brother, who would be my uncle, was the black, black sheep of the family. And I reconnected with his daughter about a year ago, who has was an alcoholic up into her 50s and gave up alcohol about six years ago. And she just told me this morning as we were sharing about all of this, that the thing that led her to give up alcohol and start into her healing journey in the Course of Miracles was that she came across my tapes and started listening. I had no connection with her until just about a year ago when the cousin that I'm talking about that's now passed gave me her phone number. I, Because her father was the black, black sheep of the family, I just have very vague memories of her maybe when I was four or five and the trauma and the hell that they lived in. So I'll just ask everybody to breathe with me and hold the space and... Uh, going to get to uh, clean up another layer of that uh, world of insanity out of my own genes. So I'm going to breathe and be quiet. And Miss Susan, how are you, young lady? I'm okay. Thank you. Uh, Some things going on, but why don't you stay with that's quite a story, Michael. Really? Wow. Oh, listen, it's, just, it's I mean, unbelievable. 
and and there's a really sweet upshot this young man who's now 54 has been through drugs and alcohol and crime the, you know the the black sheeps in my family were mostly drinkers it didn't there wasn't any crime that I'm aware of but this kid got involved with some drugs and and did some of that but cleaned it out and it's like I'm so glad to meet he says to me who I'm supposed to be and oh, I love it we start talking about we start talking about healing and forgiveness and I mean there are so many points of contact that that he's he's oh god now I know where I got that yeah I loved physics when I was in school okay that's where I got that yeah I, I did a radio show when I was 16 yeah you're doing a radio we got so much to talk about. I mean it was just like oh, blink blink great? blink 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 and then he wow. was just so open he says I haven't told anybody this I mean beatings he watched his mother get watching this his father's friend get killed and his father was stabbed by the guy that killed him and he was three when that happened I mean, he, he said I've just never told anybody this and wow. two or three layers of tears and he ended up saying I know I'm supposed to be a preacher <laughs> he said I don't know exactly uh-huh. what that means yet but he said I know it and it was like okay I've been working this path for 50 years you got everything I got let's go for it so I mean it, the upshot was sweet and it was still a, a kind of um, just opened a new place for processing so b- bittersweet bittersweet hearing what this kid had gone through just oh my god I had no idea that my cousin who I pretty much lost contact with you know we'd talk every five years or something way back 40 years ago and uh so hearing about the the darkness that he played out there's a little bit of uh shaking and opening there and uh, and then to have this kid just like yep i know what i'm supposed to do it's like all right you got my support wow so it closed on a very high loving happy note and this kid just was i mean he's so ready so that's great. So it's pretty sweet. Bittersweet, How is but he sweet. Connected? You said he's a cousin? Say again? He he's is cousin. my cousin's son. He's the oh, cousin who was the black sheep. Yeah, It was his that. son. And he yeah. had disowned him about five years ago. Wow. And had no idea that his father had passed away. I... I had reestablished wow. contact with him. Jeannie and I went and visited with him about 10 years ago and stayed a night with him. And then, you know, we were on our way here to, uh, or back to Missouri. And uh, since then, I, every couple of months, I'd call him to say, hey, how you doing? That sort of thing. And uh, mm-hmm. and then I tried to call him about three weeks ago, and both his he and his wife's numbers were disconnected. And I just finally found out that he passed on, on June 17th. And it was through that connection and another cousin, the one whose father was the black, black sheep of the family, like the really tough nut. And uh, she found the work about six years ago and started doing it, quit drinking alcohol. And and so it was through her that uh, that I met my, uh, I guess he'd be my second cousin. And mm. got to have this conversation this morning, so... Wow, a lot of healing is going to be yeah. happening. 
a lot of healing. About three times we both came into rounds of tears in our conversation this yeah. morning. Mm. Just old family grief that, uh, you know, that just needs to go. Wow. Needs to be processed. So breathing and softening. And thank you, Jeannie, for reading that lesson, for coming That's across phenomenal. that one yesterday and choosing to integrate it. Yeah, it is. It, it's awesome. So what's happening in your world? Let's let's. You've you've probably got the next piece of the puzzle to open the next thing for all of us. Who knows? Yeah. Well, I've been noting the fact you. that <laughs> uh, I asked Dr. Tim why is it that even though I've done wake up sheets and journal writing, and I hear about these people who had a realization and then it was done, you know, they were free and they didn't repeat the bad behavior anymore and he corrected that right away but <laughs> you know it's and he reminded us that you always say 77 times 70 or whichever seven number you use um, yeah, yeah. that it's it's ongoing uh, well and everybody wants could, to be there yesterday Right, and and remember in the scripture they said you can't storm the gates. You can't be there yesterday. (laughs) I mean, it'd be nice if we all could, but you you just gotta plod through and do your work. Willingness is the accelerator. Mm Mhm. Yeah. Well, there's always stuff. Uh, I, I a family member got mad at his very ornery, difficult, half-feral cat and harshly threw her out the back door two or three days ago. And she hasn't come back. And I found my level of horror and upset over that. Mm. I mean, I, I don't say it's out of proportion because I cruelty to an animal and he himself regrets it very, very much. And says, yeah. what is it about me that I had this temper? Where did that come from? And we've had some long talks about where it came from and what needs to be done so that that sort of thing doesn't happen anymore. But I've had to do a lot of work on hurting animals because I hurt those fish when I was very young, stoned them on the shore, you know, and that is just one of the things that comes up. I understand it. He said, I hope you're not mad at me. And I said, how could I be mad at you? It's not a matter of being mad, but let's just find a way through this, you know. And so anyway, and then we have a a 13-year-old cat who is either he's gone off to die. I was... He was just in the house, and I convinced Tim Bingham it's time to put him down. He's been sick. I think he's in pain, but animals are hard to read. He purrs. That doesn't mean anything. But when we touch one side of him, he leans into my hand as if I'm easing some kind of pain. We've had him to the vet. He has a swollen Mm -hmm. liver, you know, and so... I think he's gone off to die now, and I'm sorry that I didn't keep him in and could take him to do it myself just for the closure right. selfishly for myself. But anyway, so we're dealing with that. That 
that is a pretty clear grief. I mean, I don't think that's, it's just something going on right now. I don't need to do right, right. wake-up shoots about him. I, I just love the little animal, and he's been a wonderful friend. His brother's still fine and living with us, and Jacob's cat is also with us. And we said goodbye to a, my son's dog uh, two weeks ago. And, you know, it's things happen. That's just life, you know. But I have been puzzling so, about why it's taking so long to deal with this core issue of feeling deep shame and getting attached to people who are not going to stay. I pick people who are going to... Um, I'm so lucky to have Tim Bingham because he, he did stay. I mean, why? I lucked out. But, and then, of course, I could relax because I knew he was going to stay and I trusted him. But I've had many a potential friendship where I was inordinately attached, but I chose them. Dr. Tim told an example of a young man who came in to get help. He said, here I am, I have lots of girlfriends, but I picked the ones who are going to not have time for me after a while. Why do I do that? And he did the work on it, and now he gets girlfriends who stay. Well, and I'm thinking, well, why can't I do that? <laughs> I haven't done it yet. The work goes on, is I guess what I'm saying is, I still feel very weak, paralyzed almost around certain kinds of people. And it's a wide range. But I usually, the ones I get attached to are the ones who are not going to stay. They're going to disappear in one way or another. And that's my business. That's my work. So I'm just working on that. It's ongoing. There is no immediate crisis. Just a pain in the ass is what it is. Can you hear? Careful what you ask for. Yeah, I heard it. Can you I'm hear that music? For it. I understand that. Can, I can, totally can you hear the music that. going on in the background? The music going on? No. Yeah, tell me I if you can hear, hear this. Music. No? No. Okay, I can't play it that way. All right, we'll let it go. So... My uh, my offering with everything you've said yeah. would be that you'll process through, you'll accelerate through that issue when you let go mm-hmm. of your denial. Okay, you'll have to explain that because I don't think I'm in denial in the least bit. So remember, one of our main tools is become the thinker apart from the thought, the feeler apart from mm-hmm. the feelings the actor apart from the actions. And we could add to that in this context, the speaker apart from the words. If when you review, if you go back and review this section of today's show, what you said, what you, where your denial kicked in, remember, denial is the thinking or speaking, so something outside of us is the cause of what's happening inside of us. Mm-hmm. And when we do I'm that... I'm aware of where I did that. We dissociate so you were yeah. speaking about the cat, and you spoke yeah. about, I, I, I'm not sure I can quote your words exactly, but your words were something like the grief and upset about that. Mm-hmm. So that's it now. When I speak, an event happens, and up comes my grief and pain, and I speak, oh, I am upset about that, I'm in denial. 
And the whole idea is one of the skills that needs to be developed is to take a multi, 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 multi-generational pattern of blame of putting it outside of ourselves and give the mind different instructions by using responsibility language. Oh, he threw out this cat and he told me about it and that brought up so much grief and rage in me. Mm-hmm. As opposed to, or what, I'm not sure exactly it was grief and rage or grief and pain, as opposed to my grief and pain about that. So if you go back and listen, you'll find there's the, the language that keeps mm. the part of us that needs to heal in hiding. It keeps us in that dissociated place. And so just committing yourself on a new level to observing your language and notice, catch yourself when you language that something outside of you is the reason why this is moving inside of you. And just a simple simple shift in language to, oh, yeah, when he brought, spoke about throwing that cat, oh, man, that brought so much rage up in me, so much grief. It just gave your mind permission to show you what's yours rather than harshly instructed it to hide it from you. Does that make sense? And are you breathing? I'm breathing, but you know what? I'm going to push back on this because I don't... Please do. I didn't, I didn't blame the situation. I, I thought... You didn't say you did? This incident, this incident triggered a lot more feeling than maybe was normal or called for right. or whatever. How yeah. is that denial? Well, if, if, if you'd have said that triggered a lot of pain in me, I wouldn't even, that, that's, that's totally in the range of responsibility. But that's not what you said. And you didn't say, oh, it's his fault that happened. You didn't go that, it was just a subtle use of language. Remember that reality, perception is a construct of the mind and it follows our words. And so, Again, I'm not sure what the two emotion words were, but there were two emotion words, and you utilized it was grief and pain or whatever the two words were. My grief mm-hmm. and pain about that. Your grief and pain isn't about that. Your grief and pain is about the fact that inside of you there's grief and pain. And the subtle instruction to the mind that says, okay, I know I've got, you know, here, here would be the long form. Here's, here would be my demonstration of the instruction. I know that I have grief and pain inside of me, but I choose not to look at that. So now, mind, show me a picture and give me language that will support me understanding that I'm in grief and pain about that. And you just finished talking about the whole cat incident. So there's where the subtlety, and, you know, the mind gets more and more subtler. You know, the, the Native Americans called the ego uh, the, the wily coyote, the trickster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's subtle and that. it's sneaky. It mm-hmm. sneaks in mm-hmm. its messages. And your mind can't show you anything that you don't give it full permission to show you. And it will show you everything in the way that you instruct it to. So when I say my grief and pain about that 
my mind has to keep on track with the evidence that I have grief and pain about that. And you don't have any grief and pain about the fact that he did that to his cat. You just have grief and pain, and that action resonated it. And that subtle shift of energy. Okay. Oh. Mm. So that would be my offering to be where the not. It's subtle. It's subtle. I do understand what you're saying. Yeah. Magda has her hand up. I think she might have something to add to that conversation, too. Mm -hmm. Do you have another thought before we bring Magda in, Susan? Go ahead. Only that if I see or if anybody sees an innocent animal treated that way, they are going to have grief and pain. Where it comes from, I don't know. It's there are whole organizations against abuse of animals. So yes. I just don't understand. It's know, a shame. What's normal? What's appropriate? It's it's a shame Something. that there's so many organizations against the abuse of animals. I think that's really a tragedy in the world. Because there's a lot of abuse of animals. That's why there's well, let's let's. Well, let's remember Job's lesson, that which I feared most, that which I was disturbed about most, I added energy to and created it. If, and, and, and Yeshua says, resist not evil. If you let your mind go against something, you just became a participant in it. So I think well, okay. that the more organizations we have about treating animals kindly, keeping them safe, keeping them well-fed and nurtured and cared for, I think those organizations are awesome. I think the animal organizations that, that fight against the abuse of animals are an atrocity, mm-hmm. and, and they're a house divided against themselves, and they don't even know it. The very thing yeah. they're fighting against, they're lending their unconscious energy to. Okay. Yeah. I so it. when I go okay. inside myself and process all the pain that I have about an animal being abused, and I turn mm-hmm. and I see an animal being abused, I don't have to be in rage or pain. The only reason I'll be in rage or pain about it is if there's rage or pain in me. If I see an animal being abused, I'll be able to stand centered, connected as a space of active love and walk walk over the abuser and I'll know exactly, I'll be guided precisely how to bring that animal into safety and bring healing to the person that's abusing the animal. But if I approach that person out of my rage, guess what? I'm going to do more. Just, you know, you look at, you know, what, what do people want to do to the child abuser? Abuse them. Right. Mm-hmm. How does that resolve? Well, you know, we look at what's happening in the Middle East right now. An absolutely horrendous thing happened just a couple of days ago, and now a, a, a an assault even more horrendous is happening. How does that fix anything? It doesn't. Right. It just exactly. perpetuates. Exactly. That's why that particular conflict's been going on for thousands of years, mm-hmm. and until somebody I steps agree. up to the plate and goes. I'm going to be responsible for what's in me, and I'm going to invite you into the healing space. There isn't going to be healing. Mm-hmm. You know, if you go back, geez, I'm not even sure historically exactly where, but back 80s, 90s, you know, what's going on between Hamas and Israel today was happening in uh, between Poland and Ukraine. And there came mm-hmm. a point, and again, historically, I'm not sure exactly where it is, but I mean, every bit as much animosity and hatred and the desire to destroy each other was there. 
And the leaders mm-hmm. in Poland arrived at a place of saying, you know something, we've got a horrendous past, but we need to take care of each other in the future. And there was healing between Ukraine and Poland, and they're now united. And they were exactly in the same place as Hamas and Israel are today. Yeah. And it took somebody to wake well, we up and go beyond. we were almost there with the Oslo agreements, but man, they fell apart. We were almost there, but we've got to yeah. start again. Yeah. Well, it take you know, it happens just like, you know, when you were talking about your own healing process. Why am I not finished with this? Because you're not mm. finished with it. Again, everybody gets this wonderful vision. Oh, wouldn't it be nice if, and they want to bring two parties together with a history of trauma and hurt and pain and attack and death and suffering and vengeance. You want to bring two people together and say, okay, well, we're going to fix this right now. You're not going to fix it right now. It's a process. Healing is a process. It it isn't ever going to happen in the in that instant. And and when people do get what appears to be an instant healing. I like to use the example, you know, I used to be in the studio business in Nashville, and people think about uh, Willie Nelson and what a great voice he has and what, a, what a, a, a charmed life he has and what a singer and all. Willie Nelson lived in his car on the streets of Nashville for 18 years before he became an instant hit. <laughs> people who heal have a process they go through before they become instantly healed. This course talks about the holy instant, but there's a work to be done to get there. You can't storm the Mm -hmm. gates. Each person that comes together in that party has to be prepared to move to the next level and be facilitated into healing. And and it doesn't matter whether it's two countries or two people or, or somebody with the person they look at in the mirror with themselves. I hear Magda giggling. All right, young lady. Hey, how are you? I'm on on Magda's phone list about every, oh, let's see, month or so. Magda butt dials me. She butt dialed me yesterday or the day before. She loves you and she wants to talk to you. Well, I appreciate being on your butt dial list. It's always an amazement to me when that happens. It's like, wow, how did that go? But anyhow, Must be time for well, us to say hello. <laughs> I think so, and here we are. Um, Yay. So the reason I'm calling is because this subject has come up before, of course, this subject being taking responsibility for our own pain or whatever reaction we're having rather than blaming something or someone outside of ourselves. And I think the languaging that you slip into very easily is really the languaging that I need to use for myself. And and it's so helpful for me to get it, that it's really my upset. And that is by using that little word, my, uh, rather than saying, well, when he threw the cat against the wall, and I know that wasn't what you said, but I have that image from another someone else saying that. Um, right. When when he threw the cat against the wall, it really brought up so much anger in me, and that 
is so easy for for because this is so subtle until we really get it, which takes a long time. It's subtle to not be able to attach that to the reason I have this anger is because he did that. I mean, right. I think to that come out of denial. Uh huh. But if I say when he threw the cat up against the wall, it brought up so much of my anger. Uh, for me, that really helps me to be clear. It's my mm-hmm. anger. Yeah. It was there before this happened, and this was just the trigger for my anger to come up within me. You know, it exactly. was. It was. Yeah. So, I think the word "my" is just. It was incredibly important for me to be able to get that concept so much better, so much easier. And I still mess it up sometimes. (laughs) But, you know, we're in a learning process. No, you're finished with, you're finished with all of your work now, aren't you? I thought I was the other day and I was wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, what fun. Well, you know, it was it was interesting for me to have this conversation this morning, and I'm working to hold a space for my my uh, second cousin, and right. uh, you know, it just resonated some stuff. I mean, on both sides of the fence, but definitely opened another level. More, more, more. <laughs> yes. Well, that what a blessing, and going both ways, a blessing for him to be able to to um, really interact with you and um, a blessing for you as well to learn these things that that you didn't know about and exactly exactly the Lord. yeah and the inspiration that he knows he's here to do it and like yeah. okay kid you got yeah. it you, you got the whole package we're just going to hand it to you right right I remember um, being very angry when I thought I was done with the problem, you know, one of my <laughs> one of my issues. And I really, really thought I was done because of how I felt after I did the work that I had been doing on it. And right. I found out the next week that, oh, crap, it came up again. Another I was layer. Set. Why? <laughs> you know? <laughs> And, There's a um, book about that, you know. Yeah. Why There's a book on it called Why Is This Happening yeah. to Me Again? You might want to read it. it, it you might find it interesting. <laughs> I like the one, Why Am I Doing This to Myself Again? That's my favorite. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 Why are they so, doing this to me again? Yeah. <laughs> well, oh. anyhow, I know how disappointing it is. To not be done, and and um, and it's also no. right, pretty thrilling. So, you know? so let me see if I can if I can understand what you just said. Now I just want to know that I understand this clearly. Okay. Okay. So okay. I'm disappointed because I'm not done. Is that is that what I hear? Yeah, I think that is what you heard in between. Oh. It's a trap, Magda. Is it possible? Yeah. Is it possible? Yeah. Is it possible that the truth <laughs> might be? Oh, I have some disappointment in me about not being done already. It brings that up. I have disappointment. It's mine. 
And now I've got my next worksheet to heal my disappointment. How cool is that? So what I need to do is rephrase it with my little word, my. I, Your word, my. Always yeah, own my it. Word, my. When, when I takes. realize that I'm not done, it brings up my disappointment. Yeah. Right. And I realize I have a whole layer of disappointment to be finished with. Like, and if you look yeah. at it, just and, and usually when things like that stir, they relate back to a power person. If you think about it, how much time did you observe your power person in disappointment around you? <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A bunch. <clears throat> we yeah. can count the hours and the days and the months and the years. Yep. Yeah. And how much disappointment did I experience my power person um, uh, directing toward me? Projecting on you. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's the power. You're the reason I'm disappointed. You're the reason I'm hurt. You're the reason I'm. It's like, and, and so that projection language we've been taught right from the womb. I mean, we heard it when we were in utero. Mm-hmm. I mean, how far back does this universal one world religion of blame go? <laughs> the Garden of Eden. Adam says, God, that woman you gave me, that's the problem. <laughs> I mean, that's when the the dissociated language started. It's been around in our it's in our genes pretty deeply. And mm-hmm. it's it's a it's a big piece of work. I mean I personally am deeply appreciative of the fact that I get to do this conversation with people five days a week and keep refining and refining and refining and refining my own understanding and my own process. Because if I hadn't done it, I'd be back to the level of conversation we were at 10 years ago when this radio show started. And I think we've come a long way, baby. (laughs) I think that's true. I think so. Yeah. Been a lot of processing, a lot of... uh, a lot of healing under the bridge since the first show back in January of mm-hmm. whatever it was, 12, going on 13 years 2011. ago. 2011. Comes January 2011. So there's been a lot yeah. of... Uh, I, I was still... And a lot of refinement. I was still in Nashville at that time. So, right. yeah, I remember exactly. Uh, yeah, this show has been um, just an app godsend as a helper for all of us who are doing our work and and learning as much as we can about the tools. Yeah, thank you again. We are blessed. We are blessed. <laughs> yeah, all of us. <laughs> and, and the big, so. the biggest to me, the biggest thank you belongs to Yeshua because he understood it. We got to access it. We're riding on the coattails, but it's certainly pretty awesome yeah yeah so miss susan any additional thoughts for you please no not really i feel my if i had a tail it would be between my legs i get it (laughs) (laughs) okay so now let's see what would that be so would that be something to do would that be maybe your next worksheet on being picked on or (laughs) <laughs> it, it fits right in, Michael. Uh, it, uh, it fits right in. It's excellent. Yep. 
<laughs> well, I'll just say to both of you ladies, actually to all three of you with Jeannie on here too and the work that we're all doing is I deeply appreciate the willingness and the layers that we've all gone through together mm-hmm. and the contribution that each has made because it's monumental. Nobody could do this um, in a vacuum. Nobody yeah, could. As you know, I agree with you there for sure. You know, that that saying, it takes a village to raise a child, it takes a village to heal. Agreed. Yeah. Um, Susan, you disappoint me that you're just being so hard-headed about this. (laughs) (laughs) I disappoint you? That's right. I think she's being a smart ass. I am. (laughs) Right. Right. My funny bone is working today. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, Susan, I'll say it again. I absolutely adore the fact that you call in and and share and ask. And um, I learned so much by the questions you ask and the answers they promote. So thank you again. Thanks, Magda. Thank yep. You. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's okay. We all appreciate the integrity of your process, Susan, and your willingness to just keep going for it layer by layer, no matter how much it hurts. Yeah. Yeah. I seem to have a lot of, we talk about butt calls and tail between the legs, but I'll add, it's a pain (laughs) in the ass. (laughs) I'm going to invite you to stop asking for that. (laughs) <laughs> you don't need that set of symptoms, lady. That's a painful set of symptoms. Yeah. And a lot of truth in that. You don't want that. Yep. Or I don't think you want that. Let's right. let's leave that part of the anatomy healthy and happy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you guys. Blessings. <laughs> not, not, nothing other than just a nice little pat. Yeah. Well, thanks. Thanks, you guys. Thank you, Michael. Uh, good luck this afternoon with what's left of that processing and that new found relationship with the son of the yes, black thank sheep you. of the family. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. It's, a, it's wonderful it's you're there a, for him. Yeah. It's wonderful to be there for him and... It's wonderful to have uh, that new layer opened up because mm-hmm. there's a part of me when he started sharing some of the things that dad had done that, that uh, I mean, I was aghast. It was just like shocking. Wow. And uh, I didn't know I had uh, that kind of shock in me and, and that kind of energy in my family system. So, wow. Well... You know, it's all within all of us. I mean, it's, it's yeah. within me, you, and everybody else, and it's just a matter of we don't recognize it, <laughs> usually in, unless we're manifesting it out on the, in the open. So, but it's there, ladies. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. you two ladies, I just sent you a link to a piece of music that when the show's complete, oh. I'll invite you to listen to. And anyone who's listening 
who I can't text it to because I don't know who you are and I don't have your number, if you'd go to YouTube and type in, you can relax now. Oh, and give my listen to that piece of music. It's so perfect in this space. That's what I tried to to uh, yeah. play before, and I could play it on my phone, but it wouldn't come through. So, okay. mm. so give it a listen. Thanks. You can relax now by Shania Noel. All right. We appreciate you. Cherish Thanks. you all. Have a blessed one. Thanks. Thank you, Michael. Bye. You too. Okay. Bye-bye.